Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. I don't know who coined the term, but it is true that vision leaks. You ever hear this? Vision leaks. If you lead an organization or if you're on a team or if you're in a family, you've experienced this whole phenomenon. The vision that you're setting out to do as a team or the vision that you're setting out to do as a family or as a business, it begins to leak over time. Like you start out with this grand vision. After a while, you just kind of run out. It's kind of like, uh, so last week, my wife, Nicole and I and, and the kids, we took a little weekend trip up north to Wisconsin. I love road tripping with the family because it's just, it's just provides a good time for conversation. So a lot of times the girls are in the back and they're listening to an audiobook or something. And Nicole and I are in the front seat talking and, and I love it. Uh, this last time, Nicole and I, we got to talking to something that we as a family set out to do years ago. A while back, Nicole and I decided to celebrate Sabbath as a family. So Saturday night, we'll have like a special meal with candles and have some readings and, and some prayers. And then on Sunday, it's like this day of, day of rest to enjoy and, and recoup and, and worship. It's like this fun finish line every single week that we get to look forward to. So this was our vision for our family. And we did this for a time and it was huge for us. But over time, that vision that we had for our family, it leaked. I started traveling more. Nicole got a promotion at, at work with more responsibility, and the vision began leaking. We haven't been doing what we had originally set out to do. And so on our road trip, we would just refill that vision. Let's get back to this and just talking through how to get back to it because our vision was leaking. This happens with business. A business will set out to do something. You know, we're going to fill a need in this marketplace, or we're going to provide the service that nobody else in the marketplace is providing. But as the business grows, the business gets more complicated. There's more hires, there's more ventures, there's more uh, business opportunities, there's more HR, there's more policies. And suddenly, the business isn't doing what the business was made to do. It's doing all these different things, but not the thing, not, not why they exist. They're just spinning their wheels in this hairball of corporate red tape and policies. This happens at a personal level. Maybe at the beginning of the year, you know, you had this, this vision for 2022, you're going to be healthier, but over time your schedule filled up and life happened and you got to doing all these different things and your original vision, it leaked. And now you're not doing what you originally set out to do. So this is true. Vision leaks. And it's very dangerous when this happens. In fact, Proverbs, if you read with a bridge reading program, which I really hope you do, but this past week in a bridge reading program, we read this in Proverbs 29. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we see this all around us. Families fall apart or are miserable because there's no strong vision for the family. Instead of the family having vision to like bless others and, and, and grow together, ah, the family's just surviving, and just busy, spinning its wheels. There's no vision and, and things begin to fall apart. Maybe this has happened at your work. You know, there's no shared vision that's bringing everybody together. There's really nothing to go after at work. There's nothing that really excites you about your job. When vision leaks, when there's no vision, the people suffer. It's why it's really good to take a road trip and sit down and, and refill that vision. And that's what we're going to do today. It's as if, it's as if you and I, as if we're climbing into a vehicle together and saying, let's talk 
about what we're doing as a church. Because believe it or not, one of the worst cases for leaked vision is churches. It's one of the reasons that churches are dying right and left. Vision leaked and the people perish. See, the typical church, and the bridge is not immune to this, but the typical church is filled with people who cannot confidently answer this question right here. What is the mission of the church? You ask this question to a group of Christians, you're going to get a million different answers. And a lot of those answers are going to be very passionate answers. See, some would answer this question, well, the mission of the church is to feed the flock. Uh, The church should be like a a university here to spread theological knowledge. We're supposed to all get smarter and we're supposed to be producing theologians. Others would say, nah, the mission of the church is to love, man. Throw up a peace out. It's to love. Jesus is all about love. God is love. The church should spread love. Talk about love. Love everybody. The church is a place of love. Some, especially music lovers, would say, no, the church, the mission of the church is to worship. We're supposed to have like a community concert each weekend. Feel those feels and sing and play and and pray. We're supposed to worship. Church is for worship. Others, especially extroverts, would say, no, the church is for community. It's like a senior center for all ages. Like, hey, if you don't have any friends, hey, if you're weird, go to church. Those people have to be friends with you. They follow Jesus. It's a community. Many millennials would answer this question. No, the church is to be a force of good. The church is like a charity movement. It's like a, a soup kitchen. It's like a, a, a clothing bank. The church is a, is a place of many hashtags and, and, and movements. See, all these different answers. And there's good things up here. But what happens is all these different answers, they create tension in the church. All these people are going to church for different reasons, and they're frustrated when the church isn't doing what they think the church should do. No vision, and the people begin to perish. So what we're seeing right now in our society is many people are hopping around, and maybe you've been guilty of this, but many people are hopping around looking for a church that answers this question the way they want it answered. And my goodness, I mean, you look at, you look at these answers. These are good answers, aren't they? The church, the church should teach and feed. It should do that. The church should love. The church should have this sense of family. The church should be like this, this force of, for doing good things. But the reality is, and here's what we believe at the bridge, and this is so big. The reality is we believe these are all byproducts of the real mission. We're going to get into the main text in just a second because scripture actually answers this question for us. But I really do. I want to pull on this thread just a little bit more before we get into scripture because this is so incredibly important today. About 60 years ago, Harvard Business Review published an article called Marketing Myopia. And myopia means short-sighted. So myopia means a lack of, lack of vision, nearsightedness. In this article, the author discusses industries that had myopia. They failed miserably because they didn't realize which business they were in. So, for example, it talks about the the railroad industry, railroad transportation. hundred years ago, this was like the main avenue for long-distance travel. Like, this is what you took if you wanted to travel a long distance. Railroad transportation was very popular. Not so much now. What happened? Well... The airplane came along. It's a much faster way of traveling. And the railroad tycoons at the times, 
at the time, they could have invested in the airplanes. And today you would see, you know, Union Pacific Airlines, but we don't have that because the railroads didn't invest. You want to know why? Because they saw themselves as a railroad business, not a transportation business. If they would have seen themselves in the business of transportation, they would have invested in the airplane and be a much hotter market today. They didn't know what business they were in. Same exact thing for telegraphs. Huge business way back in the day. And when the phone came along, the telegraph industry said, ah, we're in the telegraph industry, not this new phone. And they missed out. However, if they would have seen themselves in the communication business, they would have invested in the phone and we would, they would have smartphones today. It's myopia. See, bottom line for this, this article was is businesses fail when they don't realize what business they're actually in. And many churches are right there. We don't know what business we're in because it's very easy to become short-sighted. This is why we have so many different answers to that question. We think about it today. I mean, there are, there are many churches that are dying and maybe you've driven by some on the way here. Many churches that, that are dying. They're selling off their, business, their, their, their buildings and their land and they're closing their doors and it is a shame. And then there's a lot of churches that are growing. A lot of churches that are expanding. What's the difference between a growing church and a dying church? You ever wonder that? Like, is it, is it the music? Really good music? Or is it relevant teaching? Is it a good kids ministry? Is it youth ministry? Is it gluten-free communion? Is that the difference between a growing church and a, and a dying church? Is it having a dress code? Is it having a great campus pastor? Is it location? Like, why are some churches dying and some churches growing? Well, it ultimately goes down to how this question is answered. And thankfully, Scripture answers it for us. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We'll actually be jumping around a little bit in Scripture today. But this is really the foundation. This is where, this is where we start. If you, if you don't have a Bible on you, the Bible in the chairs. There's Bibles in the chairs. It's page 809 in those Bibles. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use phones, tablets. We have the Bridge app with with the Bible and, and notes all in one spot. But Matthew chapter four is where we're gonna be. I really encourage you to grab one of those Bibles so we can do this together. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can gather together as your church, that we can worship you, that we can lift your name high, that we can turn our attention and our focus on you through singing. I thank you that we get to do that and I thank you that you enjoy that. Father, I thank you, that, thank you that we can give to you. Father, I thank you that we can jump into your word and hear from you. I mean, what a privilege it is to gather together as your church. And Father, you will speak today. I ask that we listen. This is your word, and we believe it is true, and we receive what it says. In the name of Jesus, please open our hearts and engage our minds. Amen. Well, as we enter into Matthew chapter 4, we find ourselves actually below sea level in northern Israel, specifically on the Sea of Galilee. The climate at this elevation, especially during the summer, it's like walking into an oven. But my goodness, nothing, nothing beats the breeze off the lake. When it hits you just right, it'll send a chill down your back. It's serene here. The quiet lapping of the small lake waves, the, the flocks of birds swooping between the water and the trees, the periodic fish that jumps, the surrounding hills that, that tower around give you this feeling of 
security. It's like a safe haven here. It's like another world here. The barren hills above, but down here it's teeming with life from the lake. It's no wonder that Jesus started his ministry here. He loved walking these banks. And today as he walks these shores, he finds a couple guys who are mending their nets. And Jesus is about to cast vision because these two will lead his church one day. And so Jesus casts this vision. It's a great vision, but it's also a vision that quickly leaks. And this is where we jump in. Jesus said to these two, he said, follow me and I will make you. Hey, you two follow me and I will make you more intellectual. I'm going to make you two smart theologians. You two are going to know Greek sentence structures and memorize creeds in Latin. You don't say that. Hey, you two, follow me and I will make you more worshipful. You guys are going to be expressive worshipers in just a little bit. I'll get you signed on to a label. Hey, you two, follow me and I'm going to make you a force for good in this world. Get ready to march. It doesn't say any of that. Hey, you two, follow me, and I will make you more loving. Hey, you two, follow me, and I will make you more friends. I mean, all those would have been fine offers, but it's not on the table. In fact, many of those things actually did happen, but it wasn't the main vision. Look what he says. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What kind of an offer is that? And then, if you have your Bibles in front of you, which I hope you do, the text says immediately they left their nets, which seems irresponsible. But now they have a vision. And it's something more than just sitting in a boat. Now they were going to impact more than just the the local fish market. They were going to impact eternity. For G, I mean, this is a brilliant way to cast vision for these two who are mending their nets. And so I, I, what I want to do right now is I, I want to dissect this and take this a level deeper because this is the vision for our church. Only point today is, is in your notes, and here it is. To follow is to fish. To follow is to fish. This right here is the core vision that Jesus Christ gave us himself. To follow is to fish. But there's two parts to fishing, isn't there? Two parts to fishing, if you keep the fish. The first part to fishing is fun, at least for me. It's the catching. It's the catching. Last week, I, I, as I said, we were on a road trip up to Wisconsin. And um, when we got up to Wisconsin, we, we went to a park. And as our family's at a park, I snuck away for just a little bit with a fishing pole because the fish were, for, were biting. And it was, it was the best. It was a blast. Like catching my favorite part of fishing. You're like, you know, you're out there in nature, you're in the quiet, and then you get a bite and it's like, it's on. It's like you got that rush and you're bringing that fish in. Like, I love it. Love the catching part. And we did this this last few weeks with, with this push uh, with, with the who's your one. We were talking about catching, being more about, being more open about who, who God is to other people, having meaningful conversations and, and blessing other people and praying for other people. That's, that's, that's the catching. But there's a second part to fishing. Again, if you keep the fish, there's a second part to fishing. And with this part, for me, at least in real fishing, it's not my favorite part, and that is the cleaning. So with fishing, you catch and you clean. I don't, I don't like the cleaning part. The cleaning part's tedious. Kind of feel bad for the poor fish. I'd rather throw it back. But true fishing, catching, and cleaning. And this is Jesus' point. 
This is what the church is supposed to be doing. People are going to be coming into our doors with messy lives. And as a church, we walk toward those messes because that is fishing. We're not going to be a church that runs away. Ah, gross, they're into that. I don't like that. That's gross to me. Uh, you know, they're doing that. Throw it back. Ew. You know, we're just going to be this little church country club over here, away from all the ick. No, no, no. That's way too many Christians today. Jesus told us that we're going to be a church that catches and cleans. We walk toward messy situations, and we bring hope, and we bring clarity, and we point to purity. We call that discipleship. This is why we're so big on groups. This is why we're so big on classes, on mentoring, on counseling, on our 12-step program that we have on Tuesday nights. That's all the cleaning part. And often, just like with fishing, we don't like the cleaning part. Because if we're going to be bringing new people in and walking toward their messes, walking toward them to, to disciple, it means that as a church, we can't be about cliques. It means that as a church, we have to sacrifice some things that we want, some preferences for what other people need. See, a lot of Christians today define discipleship as I'm going to get this, you know, this small group of people together. I'm going to have these same friends for like decades. We're going to be the small group studying the Bible, just us for decades. Okay, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, whatever. But don't call that fishing. Because if that's your focus, you're missing all of these new fish who need you. People coming in the doors who need you. They need mentoring. They need wisdom. They need counseling. They need cleaning. They need seasoned believers to come alongside of them. But if we don't have seasoned believers that don't have the vision to come along people who God is bringing in our doors, the church begins to suffer. We become ingrown. The vision is gone, and the people in the church and outside of the church suffer. Fishing. At the very core, this right here, it's the mission of the church. But what easily happens, though, and I'm guilty of this because I'm human, is it's very, very easy to focus on the byproducts of what this produces. And you know this, right? You get a bunch of Jesus followers together. A lot of great things can happen, right? Worshipful experiences happen, and it's awesome. We need to worship Relief projects happen, so good. We learn some things, that's really good to learn. We start finding friends, other like-minded people and couples and families, and we start making friends in a community, and that's great. And it's so easy to get caught up in all of the things that we like about church, the byproducts of church, the friends, the learning something new, the relief projects. And then what begins to happen is we easily lose sight of the vision of the church. And this is incredibly dangerous. You think about it this way. So 12, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, I stood at an, in an old stone church on State Street in Madison, Wisconsin, and I married Nicole. And uh, if you look at her, she still, still looks the same. I, I do not. I've got some gray hair. I, she doesn't have gray hair, and I tell her because it's because she, who she lives with, because I'm just a breeze to live with. I haven't given her any gray hair. But <laughs> since that day... Uh, since that day, Nicole and I, we've done a lot together in our marriage. And we've had our struggles like anyone, but we've also had a blast together. Uh, we bought a house. We made three beautiful little girls. We've done a, a, a few international trips. This last summer, we climbed a glacier together. We were about to road trip down uh, south soon to camp and ride some horses into the Appalachians. Like, we have fun together. 
And as great as those things are, it's not what our marriage is for. Like none of those things are why we got married. None of those things were in our vows that day as we stood together at the altar. None of those things are our vision for our family. Like Nicole and I would have an extremely unhealthy marriage if we focused on just the byproducts of marriage, the, the fun parts, the, the parts we like. I don't mean to be crass, but just you know, think about how terrible it would be if I told Nicole, hey, you know what, honey, I'm just in this marriage for the sex. I'm just here for the meals that you make. <laughs> be like, that's horrible. That's so toxic. I mean, what if she said to me, you know, well, you know, hon, I'm here because we have kids. That's why I'm here. I'm only here because I like tagging along with you on your trips. You know, I mean, that would hurt. But how often do we interact with God's church that way? Hey, God, I'm just here to learn. You're in church to learn. Teach me something new. I'm here for all my friends. These are my friends. I'm here for the music. The music is so good. And Jesus is saying, okay, that's great. But if that's your main focus, that creates an unhealthy, toxic church. And this is one of the, one of the sins of the, of the Western church today. Hey, I'm just here for what I like. No, 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 no. This is why we're here. This is the vision. Catching and cleaning. Stick to the vision. Oh, enjoy the byproducts. Enjoy the friendships. Enjoy those friendships. Express worship. We have great worship. Do service projects. I mean, that's really good. We should be doing all of that. But remember, it all goes back to this. Fishing, bringing people in, and discipleship. Cleaning, mentoring, discipling. In fact, uh, there's this... There's this, this a really funny story in scripture. And, and actually, a few weeks ago, uh, we touched on, on, this, uh, on this verse. Uh, but I want to hit it again. I want to revisit it. Um, the context is, is Jesus is walking with his disciples. They're on a road trip. And the disciples are, are being really nice with each other, and really caring, which is kind of rare for the disciples to, to do this. But they're being very nice with each other, very caring with each other. And they're making sure that everybody in the group is fed and isn't hungry. It's kind of like what moms do. You know, moms, when you get in like the car for a road trip and you're asking all the kids, you know, hey, is everyone good? Anyone hungry? Do we need to stop? You know, do you have a snack? Do you have enough goldfish? Does anyone need to pee? Do you have a blanket? You know, is this Spotify playlist? Is this okay? You know, the disciples are doing like that mom thing. They're just kind of checking in with each other. Hey, is everybody good? Is anyone hungry? Do we need to stop? Does anybody need to use the bathroom? Does everybody need some snacks? And Jesus surprisingly says this. Within context, it's actually a very radical verse. But he interrupts the disciples as they're caring for each other. And Jesus says this. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. and See that the fields are white for harvest. This is so brilliant. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, guys, it's great that you're caring for each other right now. That's really nice of you. But don't be so inwardly focused. Lift up your eyes. There's fishing to do. We're not here to hug it out till we get to heaven. There's people out there. Lift up your eyes. And if you really sit and think about this, this is one of those Jesus moments that, that doesn't taste very good. It's actually a tough pill to swallow for, for a lot of people. See, I grew up in church, and I've been around church for man, 35 years. I, I love the church. Church people are the best. I'm not a church critic. There's, there's already enough of those people out there. I love the church. I love church people. Church people are blessings. But, but at the same time, I've also heard some uh, cutesy but really weird things said by church people. 
For example, I've, I've heard people say, and I've heard this a lot, I've heard people say, you know, we should be just as good at caring for our needs as we are for caring for bringing new people in. For that, a few times. We should be just as good at doing hospital visits with each other and meal trains with each other. We should be just as good at that as we are about bringing lost people into the church. And that sounds great, but that's not what Jesus taught. Like, don't get me wrong, do hospital visits. We should do those. We should do meal trains. Like, I'm so proud. Our church, when we do like projects or you know, meal trains, man, we get like hundreds of signups to like hand out food and, and make food. Like, that's awesome. And as a church, let's keep, let's keep doing that. It, it, it rock on, like so good. But Jesus taught, remember the vision though. Lift up your eyes. Remember the vision. Don't get so lost in each other's needs that you forget to lift up your eyes and see a generation of lost people who are facing their eternity. Don't get so inwardly focused because it's so very easy to do. It is a death sentence for churches. A couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at a church and it was a struggling church, really nice people, like the nicest people. But the church had been on a steady decline for, for a while and they were trying to figure out their, their next move and their next hire. And so they asked me to, to fill in their pulpit as, as they look for, for somebody. Before I, I got up to speak, an elder had got up after like the singing and the elder got up and did something that just made me cringe. He got up in front of the church and he said, okay, prayer request time. Raise your hand if you have a prayer request. And I was in the front row. I was like, oh boy, this is like, this is just asking it for, for people who just want to be heard. And so different people were, you know, getting up, standing up and, and saying, you know, what was going on with their ailments. You know, it's so like, I got a stomach ache and, and headaches and health issues that I wish they would have kept private. It was just a very depressing time. But one woman, and this is so bad, but this actually happened. Uh, a woman in her 80s uh, stood up and she was a grump. Uh, she was like, you know, I know that you've all been praying for my new mattress to come because my back has been hurting. And like everybody's nodding their head. And like, yeah, you, you've shared this before. She's like, and that mattress was on back order. And then FedEx took their time delivering it. And I, I really need this mattress bad. And everyone, you know, again, they're just nodding their heads. Yeah, we've been, we've been praying for it. This is so tragic. Like, do you have an update on the mattress situation, Tilda? She's like, well, the mattress was delivered this week. And everyone, you know, and she goes, but hold on, hold on. But it was left at my door in the cold, and it's a gel mattress, so it was frozen, so I can't sleep on it until it thaws. And I started laughing in the front row, which is probably why I wasn't invited back. I mean, poor woman, I guess. But, but my point in all of this is, is like 20 minutes of that gathering was devoted to praying for people's ailments and aches and their needs. Zero minutes spent talking about the original vision of Jesus Christ, catching and cleaning. And this is so very common. It's why Jesus jumped on his disciples. Hey guys, sure, care for each other. It's really nice of you, but don't forget about what really matters. We too easily lose sight of that and we can't lose sight of it. See, Jesus talked about this constantly throughout his ministry, but he, he seemed to ramp this up after his death and resurrection. Actually, the night of his resurrection, when his disciples were all scared and, and hiding, he, he found his disciples all huddled together, and Jesus shows up. And if you remember the story, you might remember this. But, but he says to them what we're talking about and in the clearest of terms. This is what Jesus says to him. He says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. 
Jesus says, make no mistake. I was tortured and slaughtered and I came back so that you can proclaim this message. Jesus kept hammering this over and over and over because he knows how we are. He knows how I am. He knows how you are. He knows how vision leaks. And he knows how easily it'll become for his church to be about something else. And the truth is, is we can look around us today and we see today, right? I'm, I'm sure you see it. Many churches with things plastered on their signs, good things on their doors and, you know, about love and, and movements and, and the services, I don't know, maybe mainly about social issues or ailments or theological lectures. And that's fine and nice, but that is not the business we are in. That's church myopia. That's nearsightedness. The church is about something far bigger. Why reduce its mission to something lesser? Why reduce its mission to a byproduct? The reality is, 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 there, is there is something far worse than a mattress popsicle. It's the people of God with no vision. The worst thing for this world is not a certain political party. The worst thing for this world is for the church to not have the vision that Jesus Christ gave it. See, I, I got to say, this is, and I'm not blowing smoke, but this is why I love our church family so much. Nobody comes to the bridge because we have a rock star other than Jesus Christ. Like we're not built off a big personality preacher. We actually work hard to, to avoid that mentality. It's, it's part of the reason that we rotate speakers and, and rotate worship leaders. Our growth has mainly come from an obsession with the mission. And one of my favorite things about the bridge, and seriously, I've been to a lot of churches, good churches, but the bridge is still my favorite because I love all of you, of course, but I love how many brand new believers we have in our, in our church. Like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how often, and this has happened even last week. You know, I meet someone who is scared because like, this is the first time they've been in church and they'll look at me scared. They'll be like, okay, I'm here. You know, what do I do? And I can always think, man, oh, this is the perfect place for you. Because our lobbies are filled with people just like you. And the others, the rest, are just glad you're here. I mean, I wish that you could see my view on Sundays. Auditoriums filled with people from, from all walks of life. Many people who are just brand new to this. You have uh, older, upper-class Christian couples sitting next to struggling single mothers. Addicts who are working through recovery sitting next to yuppie suburban families. You have blue collars sitting next to white collars. Auditoriums filled with, with wise seasoned Christians who are excited that the newbies are coming in and sacrificing their preferences for the mission of Jesus Christ. And they actually have the grace and the mercy to let someone that looks like me open up the Bible with them. I, I love our church because of our mission, our vision, and we never let it run dry. So, going back to the question that we posed earlier, what, what's the mission of the church? Oh, there might be a million different answers. And there might be a lot of different passionate answers. But going back to the original caster of the vision, it's quite simple, isn't it? It's to connect people to God. It's fishing. It's introducing people to God. Catching and cleaning, mentoring, counseling discipleship. This is what we are all about. Every ministry of the bridge is obsessed with this because this is what we are collectively going after. 
See, it's very easy for an organization, whether it's a business or a nonprofit or a church, it's very easy for different departments to become siloed about their department. And actually, you might see this in your own workplace. You know, the sales team is all about the sales and the accounting department, well, you know, they don't work well with sales because more sales means more numbers. You know, it's more work. So they're just all about the spreadsheets and the technicians. Well, they're all about the billable hours and getting the good jobs. All of these different departments that are siloed and passionate about their own thing. And there's no shared vision that is bringing them together. This happens so much in churches. The music person is all about the music. So don't you dare get in the way of practice or touch their stuff because it's all about the music. Or, you know, the Sunday school teacher, all they care about is their little class. So don't you schedule anything during their class or the buildings person. You know, they're all about the building. They don't want more people because more people means more trash and more to pick up and more of a headache. And, and so in a lot of churches, there's just lots of tension, lots of infighting in a church with 75 billion banners hanging out outside, promoting all of these different things. I mean, seriously, this is so common. And in a common setting, uh, Jansen, our, our lead worship pastor, and me, uh, lead teaching pastor, him and I, we should be fighting like cats and dogs. In many churches, that's just the norm. Because you have the worship guy going, it's all about worship. And, and the teaching guy going, no, it's all about teaching. Jansen and I are great friends. Because we have a shared vision, we care more about this than getting our own way on our own opinions. Jansen knows it's, it, it's not about the band. And I know it's not about the teachers. We both know it's all about what Jesus has called us to do. And every single ministry of the bridge is tuned into this mission. If it's not, we scrub that ministry because this is what Jesus gave us to go after. It's too big of a deal. It's this vision that brings us together. It's this, it's this vision that keeps us obedient. And it's this vision that must stay full. Oh, we have fantastic worship and we have quality kids ministry and we have groups and we have classes and we have a food pantry and we work with various community drives. We do all of these different things, but they all point to this right here, connecting with God. We are here to fish, to catch, to clean. It's messy, but it's just what we do. I'd love to close with a story. I, I, love, I love stories. Um, I don't, here's the thing. I don't think we ever outgrow stories. And this story right here is one of my favorites. In fact, I've, I've read it in, in this church uh, a few different times. It, just, it never gets old to me. It's kind of become a, a bridge favorite, uh, if you will. But it so, so encapsulates our vision. It's, it's about this, this pastor named Tony. It's a, it's a true story. Uh, Tony was in Hawaii speaking at a conference. And the way he tells it is he checks into his hotel in Honolulu and tries to get some sleep. But unfortunately, his internal clock wakes him up at 3 a.m. because it's 8 a.m. where he's from. So he's jet lagged. His, his sleep schedule is off. And he writes this. He writes, the, the night is dark. The streets are silent. The island is asleep. But I'm wide awake and my stomach is growling. I got up and prowled the streets looking for a place to get some bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. And everything is closed except for a grungy dive in an alleyway. I go in and sit at the counter and the big guy behind the counter comes up and asks, what do you want? Well, I'm not so hungry anymore. So eyeing some donuts under a plastic cover, I said, well, I'll have a donut and a black coffee. As I sit there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30, in walk eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished with their night's work. 
they plop down at the counter, and I find myself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking, swearing ladies of the night. So I gulp my coffee, planning to make a quick getaway. When the woman next to me says to her friend, you know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? Huh? You want me to make you a cake and sing happy birthday to you? The first woman says, oh, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? Why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Tony writes, well, when I heard that, I made a decision to fish. I sat and waited until the women left. And then the big guy at the counter, I asked the big guy at the counter, do they come in every night? Yeah, he answered. The one next to me, I asked, she come in every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? Because she just said that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think? You think that maybe we could throw a little birthday party for her here, right here in this diner? A cute smile crept over the man's chubby cheeks. That's great. He says, yeah, I like that. I like that. He turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife, hey, come out here. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday, and this guy wants to throw a party for her right here. His wife pops out. That's terrific, she says. You know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody ever seems to do anything nice for her. So we make our plans. I said I'd be back at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations, and the man, whose name turns out to be Harry, says he'll make the cake. At 2.30 the next morning, I'm back. I had fancy paper and other decorations and a big sign made with big cardboard letters that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And we decorated the place from one end to the other and got it looking great. Harry got the word out on the streets about the party. And by 3.15, it seemed that every lady of the night in Honolulu was in this place. There were prostitutes wall to wall. At 3.30 on the dot, the door swings open and in walks Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready and we all shouted and screamed, Happy Birthday, Agnes! Agnes is shocked. She's stunned, taken back. Her mouth falls open and her knees start to buckle. She almost falls over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, that's when she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying. Harry, who's not used to seeing a prostitute cry, gruffly mumbles, blow out the candles, Agnes, cut the cake. So she pulls herself together and blows them out. And everyone cheers and yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. But Agnes looks down at the cake and without taking her eyes off it, slowly and softly says, look, Harry, is it all right if, I mean, I I don't, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I were to keep the cake a little while? Is it okay if we don't eat it right away? Well, Harry doesn't know what to say. So he shrugs and says, sure, do what you want. Keep the cake, take it home if you want. Oh, could I? She asks, looking at me, she says, I live just down the street, a couple of doors. I, I want to take the cake home and save it. Is that okay? I'll be right back honest. She gets off her stool and picks up the cake and carries it high above her like it's the Holy Grail. And everybody watches in stunned silence as the door closes behind her. Nobody seems to know what to do. They look at each other and they look at me. So I got up on a chair and said, what do you say we pray together? And there we are in a hole-in-the-wall, greasy spoon diner, half the prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30 a.m., listening to a pastor as I pray for Agnes, for her life, for her health, for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed, 
and I prayed that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leans over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he says, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church you belong to anyway? And in one of those moments, when just the right words came, I answered him quietly. Well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry thinks for a moment, and in a mocking way says, nah, nah, no you don't. There ain't no church like that. But if there was, I'd join it. See, but the church is like that. That's what Jesus set us off to do. Lift up your eyes. You have a mission. It's a messy adventure. Make no mistake. The church stands as the only hope for this world. And when it is on mission, it penetrates the very darkest of places. It is the only hope for this troubled world. Nobody can offer anything better. Nobody but the church can say that. That is our mission. We refuse to surrender it. We refuse to water it down. We refuse to be distracted. We refuse to back down. This is what we're all about. This is why the bridge opens its doors every weekend. And they will continue to remain open until Jesus himself comes through. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.